Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And for those of you who are visiting for the first time, and those who have been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series right now on worship, on worship, worshiping in spirit and truth, and it's called Unclouded. And let me just begin by reading Romans 12, 1 through 2, and then just share what the Lord has, has placed on my heart here today. I, I'll share this. I, I've experienced incredible opposition this week. Crazy thoughts uh, came to my mind this week. Honestly, just crazy thoughts. Um, and the Lord always just shows me, uh, I find that's usually a connection in what he's asking me to share. And usually God is then going to do something really special and awesome. And, uh, and so I just say, just prepare ourselves for, for what God wants to do, not, not what I want to do. So Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 We're talking about worship, and the title of this message is Lifestyle Worship, and it says this. Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I want to spend a few moments and talk about this idea of lifestyle worship. And let me just share this. These last few weeks, the last two weeks that we've been talking about worship, we've really spoken at length about this inner experience, right? We've talked about uh, the heart and how within the heart of man, there is this battle that really rages for what is it that we're going to worship? We've made it clear. You either worship God or you're worshiping something else. And even when you're in Christ, we must be careful because our heart can still uh, be prone to wander from him and to put trust and, and security in other things. And ultimately, the goal of these last two weeks was to see before we ever enter into a place like this and lift our hands, God says, I want to see that your hearts are near to me. He's not so much concerned if our lips can praise him, but he says, are your hearts set on me? And these last two weeks, we've spoken at length to share that the inner experience is meant to bring us to a place where our heart sets Jesus above everything else. That's, that's the end goal of what we spoke these last two weeks, is that we would come to a place as a people where Jesus would rise above everything else, even those good things in our life, Jesus would be ultimate. The goal of these last two weeks was to see that Jesus is our greatest reward. There's nothing better than receiving him. Every blessing, every gift, everything he gives, we thank him for it, but at the end of the day, he himself is our greatest reward. And so as this, as this inner experience is taking place where our heart is beginning to elevate Jesus above everything else, we're beginning to see his sweetness. We're beginning to see how good he is. We're beginning to, to trust in him. We're beginning to prize him. We begin to praise him then. And as Jesus' value and worth begins to rise in our heart and he stands supreme over every other thing, the question we have to ask ourselves is where should that lead us? If Jesus is supreme in our life, is, if he is who he says he is, if he's done what he says he's done, the question is, what should I do in response to that? 
And Paul says the proper response, true and proper worship in view of God's mercy is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, to walk in holiness. Holiness is where God is calling us. His grace and his mercy, we speak at it at length. It is extravagant. It is scandalous. It is rich, but it leads us somewhere. It leads us to look like Jesus. If it doesn't, we cheapen it. Christ paid his life for us in order that we could look like him. And when we live in obedience, offering our bodies fully unto him, the Lord says, this is your true and proper worship. It's a worship in which it's a lifestyle of worship. Every part of us being offered up to him. It's when we have a wholehearted obedience with no reservation. We give him everything because he is worthy of it. And so let me share this as we're going to be diving a little bit into holiness. I want you to understand we hear that word, and holiness is not the call to be sinless or perfect. We know on this side of eternity, we will fall gravely short of that. That's why we need Jesus Christ, right? That's why he came, because we understand that we are fallen and broken. And I'm not calling you today to a form of legalism. I'm not calling you today to a bunch of do's and don'ts, to have a holier-than-thou attitude. The call, though, is today in view of God's incredible mercy that we would engage in a lifestyle which seeks to conform to the very nature of God. That's where his grace and mercy should lead us, that we would begin to look like Jesus. For God is holy, and he says, therefore, you be holy. Why? Because Christ lives in you. We are holy. Therefore, he says, live in light of your new identity, and this is our true and proper worship. And so I just want to share a few thoughts on this. The first thing is that Paul opens up with a very important word here. He says, therefore... Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But Paul's a very wise man. The Lord's even wiser as he spoke through him in this. But Paul understands, I believe, the human nature. All of us were children at one point. Many of us have children. Many of us are grandparents. So we have a lot of experience with kids. And we know all too well that there is the dreaded question, the one-word question of three letters that every child asks, and really what I find every grown-up still asks, is, and that's why. Why do I have to do this? Why, why, why should I listen? Why should I, why should I follow you? Why should I go to bed now, right? Why do I need to do this? And the mistake that we could make is just saying, just do it, because I said so, right? And I want you to understand something, that God, in his grace to us, he gives us the motivation as to why we are to offer every part of our body to him. Don't miss this. This is so, so important where God's grace and mercy leads us. And so Paul gives us the motivation, and it's found in the very key word, therefore. Paul is not just, you have to understand this, because I don't want you to fall into just striving in empty moralism, because none of us can live out, none of us can become holy without Jesus Christ. Paul is not saying, he's not just, just saying, look, I want you to go out and, and, and start living right. The problem is most of us have probably heard it that way. We've been told, stop doing this and start go doing the right thing. Most of us have heard, stop, stop engaging in sexual immorality and, and stop talking this way and, and stop doing this and start doing that. And although that's, that's true, that we should be leading to this place of looking more like Jesus, the problem is, is that we've never been really given the proper motivation. And Paul's theme through all of his letters is he never just starts with saying, just start doing this, just start living this way. He always first gives us our new identity in Christ. 
It's his pattern throughout all of his letters. Ephesians is maybe the greatest example of six chapters in which the first three are all about our new identity and position in Christ. We're holy, we're righteous, we're redeemed, we were once on the outside and now been brought on the inside. And then right in chapter four of Ephesians, where he moves from our position to how we should live, Paul says, therefore, again, that's how he transitioned. Therefore, in light of your new identity, this is how you should live. He's not happy about this. <laughs> but I want, you to, I want you to grasp the weight of that, that Paul, after the first 11 chapters, is saying, in light of everything you've heard, in light of how good and faithful God has been to you, there is a proper response to that. It should, it should lead to a different way of living. Our lifestyle should look different than before without Jesus Christ. And he's telling us that you are holy now. That because of Christ in you, you are holy. Therefore, he calls us to walk in holiness. Understand this. Religion says that you obey to be accepted. The gospel says you are accepted, so therefore you obey. It is radically different. And Paul is not just throwing these things, saying, look, I want you to offer your bodies. I want you to walk in holiness because I want you to try harder. No, no, no. Paul is, is, is sharing something, saying, listen, in light of everything I've just shared with you, which we'll talk about in a second, but in light of everything I've just shared with you in Romans 1 through 11, in view of that and who you are, you should live a certain way. Please understand this. No one can move from a place of brokenness to wholeness in their own strength. No one can move from darkness to light. No one can move from being rejected to being accepted. No one can move from being dead to alive. The reason why we can move out of this place is because when I was in darkness, light comes to me. And he lives inside of me. And I am light now. And therefore he says, live in light of your new identity. The reason why I can live and walk in new life is because new life came to me when I was dead. If it did not, I would never be able to move. The reason why I can be whole is because when I was broken, wholeness came to me and his name is Jesus. And when he lived inside of me and came inside of me, he gave me a new life. He's not asking us to go out to try to obtain something. He's saying that's who you are now. And because this is who you are, this is how you should live. But God's grace and his mercy and who he's made us should cause us to walk in holiness now because Christ has given us everything that we need to do it. And here's, here's what he says to kind of just sum it up in, in view of God's mercy in Romans 1 through 11. Let me just share it this way. In Romans 1 through 3, this is what Paul basically says. Paul, Paul shares with us that Man, man is broken and lost. Man is radically depraved. There's no one who seeks God. All fall short of the glory of God. Paul goes on for three chapters to say whether you're Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. No one is righteous. No one can fulfill the law. Everyone falls short. And the reason why Paul starts here, you need to understand this, is because Paul understands that he wants to inflame the hearts of the people that they would be so gripped by the love of God when they understand his forgiveness that it would cause them to offer every part of their being to him when they realize what God has done. He who is forgiven much loves much. And so Paul begins by sharing, listen, you need to understand how broken every single one of us in here was dead, disobedient, and doomed until Christ Jesus stepped in. 
The example I would give you is Bill Gates and a ham sandwich. <laughs> if I took a ham sandwich and gave it to Bill Gates, what do you think he would say to that? Yeah. My, it means nothing, right? But if I took half of that and gave it to someone in a third world country who was absolutely starving, what do you think they would do? They'd probably kiss my hands, probably hug my feet, tears of joy. They'd probably run through the village as they held this gold in their hands. Why? Because they knew they were starving. And Paul begins in Romans by talking about this starving condition we have so we would understand the richness of the bread of life coming to us. And let me just share just a few things that Paul covers in Romans to just understand what this therefore is built on. Paul isn't just telling us to go out and do something. He's saying the Christian faith is founded on something. Our lifestyle is built on something, the beautiful truths of who God is and what he's done in our life. And here's just a few, 10 of them. God loved us while we were his enemies. What an incredible truth. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, we're accepted, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, righteous, justified by faith in Christ alone, reconciled by faith in Christ alone, which means we have peace with our Holy Father. We're marked by a seal called the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing the glorious inheritance that is ours to come. We're no longer dead to sin, but alive to Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We're released from the law and bound to Christ. We're more than conquerors, and we're no longer separate and outsiders to the promises of God, but God has brought you near through the blood of Christ and made you co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, in light of all of these things, what is our proper response? It's to offer our entire bodies and selves to Jesus Christ and walk in holiness and pursue after him and begin to look like him, for that is our true and proper worship. The call that Paul is making is that we would obey from love. And that's what I want to share with you before we move any further. I want you to understand that. that the call is to walk in holiness, is to understand he's asking us to obey from love. And that's, that's the call I give to you, not to obey from fear or from pride. Many of us ask ourselves, we, we, hear, we hear a scripture like this and say, man, I know what I have to do, but I lack the motivation to do it. I don't understand. I can't do it. The reason why is because we haven't fallen deep in love with, deep in love with Jesus. That, that's the key, is to fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's why we talked about that. That's why we said last week, slavery is just saying, do this and don't do that, and if you don't, you'll go to hell. But Christianity is saying, getting one glimpse of his beauty that so captures your heart that you will never be the same. Holiness will just be a byproduct of the love relationship that you have with God. Understand this, there is a major difference from running from sin and pursuing him. I'm not asking you today to simply run from sin. I'm asking your heart to be so captivated by his mercies and his grace and his goodness in your life that your life is, it could be characterized as pursuing him. The end result is the same, but God has so much more for us than obeying out of duty and fear. He wants us to fall so deeply in love with him that we walk in holiness because we want to please him. We love him. We're so thankful for what he has done in our life. We can give all of ourselves to God in response to the fact that he's given all of himself to us. 
He asks us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that's because it says, oh, that we would think about how wide and how long and how deep the love of Christ is. And in response to that, we give him everything that we have. I'll give you an example this way. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture a a baby bird in a nest. And the baby bird can't fly yet, and so it falls out of the nest. And when it falls on the ground, there is a fox that sees it. And the fox is ready to pounce on it. And the baby bird knows its life is, is at stake. And so what does the baby bird do? It scampers with every little thing inside of it to get to a hole in the tree. And as it sits in that hole, its heart is beating, and it, it realizes it just narrowly escaped death. And I think, and I've seen in my life, up until, I'm telling you, just recent, that is how I would characterize my obedience to Christ. I was constantly scurrying around out of fear that I would be killed and punished. And so all I did was scurry around all the time trying to do the right thing, but only if the bird knew that it was destined to fly. God wants us to obey, not from simply scurrying in fear, but learning through delight in him and joy and freedom to run after him, to soar, to give him all that we have from a place of of deep, deep love for him. I remember at Brooklyn Teen Challenge, this this actually came to right before here, and thinking about this, when I was at Brooklyn Teen Challenge, which uh, I worked with men coming out of addiction, and we used to play basketball in the backyard, and the gate used to be open. And I remember uh, we built some relationships with neighbors, and they knew what our program was about. And one time, the guys were all hanging by the back gate. It was wide open, and they came to me like, doesn't that make you nervous? Like, these guys are right here. They could run at any time. They can leave. And I was like, the, the gate's not what's keeping them, right? Jesus has a hold on their heart right? It's totally, totally different. I'm not asking us to do the right thing because the gate is up. Let the gate come up. I'm asking us because we're so in love with Jesus, and he has such a hold on our heart that we're pursuing him with all that we have. And so Paul says this, therefore, I urge you. I urge you. This is so, so important. Paul is urging brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, As Paul moves from chapters 1 through 11 to 12 through 16, there is a major transition. As I said, Paul has just shared at length about theology, about the truths of God. But in these last few chapters, Paul transitions into our practice, into how we should live. And hear me on this. I shared that at length of God's mercy because ultimately, when Paul says, I urge you, there is an intensity in Paul's voice. There is, there is an urgency that he speaks with to his people, that he says, in view of everything that I've shared with you, I urge you, I plead with you, that you would begin to look like Christ. Paul is not satisfied with his people just simply having a knowledge of Christ, with gaining more intellect of who Jesus is. Paul is urging his people to say, in light of everything I've shared with you, may you not just know of Christ, may you live like Christ. May you look like Christ. God has placed on my heart this week that as a shepherd of this place, that I would never be satisfied with just dropping nuggets of truth to to, to stimulate your mind, but never once stand up here and say, but in light of that, your life should change now. 
Understand we're doing it from what he's done, but our life should change. We should look different when we encounter the mercy and grace of God. We should urge one another to say, what shall we do then? When Peter, when Peter stood up at Pentecost, this incredible scene, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to preach with boldness. I mean, he's speaking strong conviction. And in the middle of his message, they don't even wait for an altar call. Can you imagine that? Because it says he keeps going on after they interrupt and they keep sharing things, which means in the middle of his service, they stop. And what do they say? Brother, what shall we do? That is the proper response to what God has done in our life is say, Lord, in light of what you have done and who I am, how should this change the way I'm living? Do you know how many times I have heard a message that has been so on point? I slap five with people. I send it on Facebook. I say, you got to listen to this. This is so good. But I never ask, but wait, how should this change the way I'm living? How should this affect my everyday life? And Paul is urging strongly that in light of everything that Christ has done for us, the proper response, the proper response is that our lifestyle should change. And he says right here, what is the action that we should do? That we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, offer your bodies. Hear me on this. Paul, the word offer or to, to present, he's not saying make a decision this week, come again the next week and do it again, then offer again, then offer again, then offer again, right? We, we, we see that a lot. Every week we're rededicating our lives to Jesus. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen at some points, but Paul is not saying, hey, every week come and rededicate your life to Jesus. No, no. Paul is saying offer your bodies once and for all. In view of what God has done, Listen to this. We talk about the patience and the, and the, and the grace of God. I understand. But, but there are times where it says here that Paul is saying in light of that, offer your bodies. Make the decision today. No more wavering. In view of who God is, serve him. Walk in holiness. Walk in godliness because he's given everything that we need to do that. No more wavering between two points. It says in 1 Kings 18, Elijah. Elijah stands before the prophets of Baal. It's the same idea. And he stands before them, and the prophets of Baal worship Baal, and they worship God. And they went back and forth, back and forth. And Elijah finally stood up before them and said, stop wavering between two opinions. If God is God, serve him. If he's not, don't serve him. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is truly Lord, if he is the treasure that's found in the field, then give him everything you have. And he says that because he knows how good he is and he knows that he satisfies. It's the proper response to what he has done. He says, offer your bodies, not just things outside of ourselves. Look, it's good to give finances and all these other things, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, offer yourselves. What God wants outside of all the other things, that's good. We should be generous as God wants us. He wants every chamber of our heart. He wants our heart cry to say, Lord, I want you to freely abide in every area of my life. Offer your bodies fully and completely to the Lord. Not just giving him two hours on a Sunday, but every aspect of our life, every part of our life. Listen to me. Many people won't talk to you about holiness. 
This is the true proper response. This is where we, there's, a, there's another level of intimacy with the Lord when we begin to walk with him intimately and begin to look like him. That's why he calls us to this. It's not, it, the, 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 the sin in our life is affecting our intimacy with God and he wants us to be close. He wants us to be near. That's why he calls us to live this way. He calls us to be a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's always, continually, Again, not just for an hour, not just for a day. All the time, God wants us to present ourselves to him, to be used by him. The Bible says this is called a life of consecration. It's to be set apart for him. When the, in the Old Testament, they would consecrate themselves before God's presence would manifest before them. They had to. We have Jesus now. We're holy. Therefore, in light of that, let's live a life of consecration. We can experience his manifest presence all the time. We don't have to wait for certain days now. That's what God has made available to us. And when we live this way, as salt and light, we bring the glory of God. People see God's glory through our life. Let me just share this. This is really important. Some things the Lord was was sharing with me before I just finish with a thought on Jesus is sin and holiness. I want you to understand that some things I've seen in my life There's some misunderstandings with sin and holiness. And here's the first thing I see in my life, I often categorize sin. So I'll say what is unacceptable and what is tolerable. I have to understand, though, the problem with that is really we're making sin more self-centered than God-centered. When I sin, most of the times I look at it as a personal defeat. It's not. It's always sin against God. We have to see it that way. No matter how big or how small, we have to always see that our sin is always against God. The other thing is cultural holiness. Instead of God being our standard, we often judge how we're living by those around us. That's especially dangerous right now in our culture. We're not going by cultural holiness. We're going by God. We're not trying to look like other people. We're trying to be conformed to the image of God. That's the whole point we're walking with Jesus has done. And so it's not about cultural holiness. It's pursuing him. And the last thing is that I find that in my life, it just takes sin too casual. You hear me on this. Again, we are pursuing him. That's our driving force. But we have to understand how destructive sin is. When we look in this world and we see everything that's broken, you see everything that's not the way it's supposed to be. You see divorces. You see people who have poor self-image. Everything that is broken, that you screams out, this is not the way it was meant to be, is all tied back to sin. Sin is destructive. Sin destroys lives. And that is why, that's why God had to send his son. Do you understand how costly sin is? Literally, Jesus, the son of God, had to die for us to redeem us from it. It's that destructive. Do you understand in the Bible When it speaks about sin, it does not use light language. It says, put to death the misdeeds of the body. Crucify your flesh. If your right eye sins, gouge it out and throw it away. Why? Because if you don't, it will destroy you. It's nothing to, to play around with. Jesus is greater, but we have to understand that sin can destroy us. But the good news is, is that God has given us everything we need in Jesus Christ to walk victoriously. Understand that. Everything that we need. Galatians 1.4, says that Jesus gave us himself so that he could rescue us from this present evil age. 
Jesus gave us himself. That word rescue, in the book of Acts, when Stephen is preaching just before he's stoned, and he's giving the whole history of the Israelites, the Jews who are ready to stone him, he says that the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt. Then later on in Acts 12, when Peter is in jail and the angel of the Lord comes and miraculously frees him, it says that he was rescued from jail. That is the same word when it says that Jesus Christ has come to rescue us from this present evil age. In other words, Jesus has not simply set us free from the guilt of sin. He has set us free from the power of sin. Literally, we were held captive and bound and in a slave to this thing. But Jesus Christ has come to break the power of sin in our life that we no longer have to live that way. Therefore, do not be conformed to the ways of this world. Why? Because you've been set free from the power of it. You may live in it, but it doesn't own you anymore. You don't follow its desires. You don't follow its value systems. You follow the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Why did Jesus come in the flesh? Right? Why didn't he just speak a word? If his word is all power, why didn't he just speak a word? Why do you have to come in the flesh? One, we needed, we needed a payment for our sin, which Jesus pays. But the other thing is, sin was so ingrained in man that Jesus Christ had to come to take on the mortal flesh so that he could take our body and put sin to death. And be raised to new life. Therefore, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is dead to sin, but alive to Christ through the Spirit. In every way, Jesus has given us victory over the power of sin and death in our life. And so what is the proper response to that? Is to walk in freedom. To walk in the holiness that he has given us to walk in the victory that he has given us. And he not only breaks the power of sin and death, he could have left us there. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. Do you understand that we have everything that we need to live a victorious, godly, and holy life? Everything that we need. How many times have I settled to say, man, I just... I'm just stuck here. I can't. My wife knows all too well. I've said those where I can't move out here. There's no way past this. I don't have victory over this. Jesus is saying, hey, Andrew, that's why I went to the cross for you. That's why I've given you the Holy Spirit. You have victory. You don't have to stay here. You can begin to walk with me in holiness and godliness. I want to just share this scripture as we come to a close. The worship team can come on up. In Romans 6, verses 11 to 14. I want you to just think about this for a second, too. We use this example a lot of being new creations, the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly. But how foolish would it be if you walked around and saw butterflies walking on the ground as caterpillars? It's foolish, right? The Bible says we are being metamorphed, transformed. We're no longer that old person anymore. It's dead. It's gone. Don't go back to that old way of life. Why? Because you died to it. If we live that way, bound to those things again, it's like a caterpillar walking around, or a butterfly walking around on the ground saying, what are you doing? You're not this person anymore. And I want you to hear this in Romans 6. It's on the screen, 11 to 14. Listen to where the grace and mercy of God leads us. It says, in the same way, 
Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, therefore, what's the response to being dead to sin and alive to Christ? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. The grace of God leads us into holiness and godliness. It gives us everything we need so that the proper response would be, God, I offer every part of my body to be used as an instrument of righteousness. Take my eyes, Lord. Take my ears. Take my mouth. Take my hands. He's holy, and he's worthy of that. Anything else falls short of what he is worthy of. And in Romans 6.22, just past that, it says this. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. Titus says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. God's grace teaches us to walk in self-control. You know, I'm going to share one more scripture, actually. 2 Peter, right here. We just, I, just want to, I just want you to grasp just what his grace and mercy does, and we'll close here. Listen to this. In verse, in verse 3 of 2 Peter 1, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything that we need for a godly life to walk in victory has been made available to us in Jesus Christ. There's no more to add to it. It's finished at the cross. He broke the power of sin and he gives us his Holy Spirit to walk in victory. And Paul, if you could just go down to verse 5. In this same portion, in light of that, it says this, for this reason, what reason? That we have been given everything we need for a godly life. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. The proper response to what Jesus has done for us, the true and proper worship that is worthy of him is that we say, Lord, in light of all of this, I offer my body as a living sacrifice. Once and for all, I make that commitment to say, I am yours, I am following you. Will I stumble? Absolutely, Lord. I will grow in your grace, but I am going to continue to seek you with all that I have because you are worthy of it. That's where God's grace and mercy should lead us. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.